Okay. Okay. Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met us before, I'm Jeremy Douglas Jones. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. And I'm Becky. I'm Jeremy's wife, and together we've got three kids. Uh, Joel and Caitlin are at the back, and Isaac is in kids' work. So today we have the joy of inviting you into our lounge. Well, we've, we've tried to make it look a little bit like our lounge, and um, we welcome you all into it as we um, sit and, and think about a, a couple of the things that, that we love about Christmas. This is the second in our series called A Christmas Carol, which is um, named after that that famous book by Charles Dickens that pretty much every one of us knows and maybe some of us love. Um, the reason we've chosen the story is because it was part of a revival of the Christmas holiday in the United Kingdom. Most people at the time had not celebrated Christmas for a, a very long time, and, and the view was that Easter was the time to celebrate Christ because at that time you could you could truly honor him for, for what he had achieved at the cross. But Dickens and others suspected that there were other darker reasons for this holiday not being celebrated in the UK. It's a story of how a money-driven in industrialist is saved from his cold pragmatism and discovers that he still has a heart and a soul. Some think that it was a warning to, to Industrial Revolution UK. It was a warning that it had lost its soul and that its foundation that had made it a great nation was, was what um, Dickens was crying out for again. And giving people a time to stop working and to remember a God who came to earth as a humble baby was part of that project of soul restoration for the United Kingdom. Our family has been living in the UK for 11 and a half years now. And in two weeks' time, we have the amazing opportunity of going back to South Africa for Christmas. It'll be our first Christmas that we've celebrated there since we moved here. And it'll be a bit different. As it is summer there, um, we'll most likely be having Christmas outside, I'm hoping. We, the kids will definitely be swimming. We may have the traditional English Christmas meal, but I think we'll be happy with something done on the barbecue as long as we can sit in the sun. And it may sound lovely, and I'm sure it will be, but we have grown to love how Christmas is celebrated here. From the 1st of December, or for some people a few weeks earlier, there begins to grow <laughs> an excitement for Christmas Day. What I have seen in this country is a love for celebrating. And so we build this amazing expectancy for the day. All of this is wrapped up in the music, the lights, the weather, snuggling up in front of a, a, um, a movie, hot chocolate, the decorating of our houses inside and out, um, the smell of baking, hot spiced apple or mulled wine, mince pies, Advent calendars, shopping for presents, and then wrapping them and being with family. And for kids too, this is a wonderful time. The Christmas gift lists, school nativity plays, the going to see the pantomime, Christmas parties, decorating the Christmas tree, family puzzle building, and cookie baking. And yet, 
it also requires a lot of waiting for 25 days. There was once another group of people who too were waiting. The Israelites had been waiting for a very long time. They were waiting for their Savior to come. Expectancy had grown for their Savior all through the Old Testament, but they had been promised by many prophecies that he would come. The first hints about the Messiah were made to Abraham in about 1700 BC. And there are many other prophecies going through the Old Testament. I'm just going to read a few out to you today. In Genesis 49 verse 10, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. In Isaiah 9 verse 1 to 7, I'm just reading part of it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And the last one I'll read is from Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So at the time that Jesus was born, no one had heard God speak for four centuries. Malachi is the last book in the Bible, in in the Bible, sorry, in the Old Testament, And since then, God had been silent. The Babylonian Talmud Yoma, which is a rabbinical writing, said after the latter prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi had died, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel, but they still availed themselves of the voice from heaven. I wonder how we may have felt being an Israelite in this time. God hadn't spoken for generations. The political climate was oppressive for our people. And there's no sign of a savior. And the world had become quite dark. I guess you may be tempted to dampen your enthusiasm, become a bit more pragmatic, and lose your hope in a deliverance that is seemingly never going to come. And yet, in the midst of all of this, there were two people that Luke mentions that were faithfully waiting for their Messiah. If you'd like to join me and just open your Bibles in Luke 2, starting in verse 25. I'm just going to read about them. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. 
He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And I'll stop there. It says that Simeon was righteous and devout, and that the Holy Spirit was on him as he was moved to come to the temple. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so he waited, and we're not sure for how long. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Him and the nation were waiting for God's comfort, expecting that he would come and rescue them, just like he did with the Israelites in Egypt. When Simeon saw the baby, he picked him up in his arms, praising God and proclaiming the truth of what Jesus was, the salvation to the world, both to the Israelites and to the Gentiles. And then he prophesied to Mary about what Jesus would do, that some would believe in him and some would not, that many would oppose him, but he would reveal the truth and that his suffering would cause Mary much pain. And then there's Anna. It says that she'd been widowed after only being married for seven years and that she was now around 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Isn't that amazing? And she happened to come up to Mary and Joseph at that very moment and recognized the child, and she gave thanks to and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Isn't it amazing that they both recognized Jesus? They were both frequently at the temple, and they must have seen hundreds of babies come for the purification rites. But they both heard or felt the Holy Spirit prompt or move them to come to the temple that day and that moment, and they knew it was their Savior. What amazing faith and confidence and obedience to the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with joy. It says they praised God and they gave thanks and shared the good news Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Their hearts were prepared to receive their king. I love that, Carol. <laughs> we just sung it, hadn't we? And um, did you know that it wasn't always a carol? It was originally a, a hymn written by Isaac Watts. And I did a bit of research into him because I kind of like, you, you, you listen to these carols and you think, oh, they're really old-fashioned. But Isaac Watts was actually a bit of a rock star in his, his day. He was a... a a Renaissance man, he was very intelligent, um, he, he, he was sharp as they come. Um, he was also a nonconformist, which means that he, he didn't agree with the, the teaching of the Church of England at the time, and his, his dad spent a, a significant amount of his, his adult life in prison for the beliefs of, of the Watts family. Um, but even as he didn't agree with the Church of England at the time, he was also distressed by, by the lack of passion that he observed within his own Reformed brothers and sisters when, when they came to, to worship God. He, um, 
Well, so Calvinist um, nonconformists in the UK at the time, they'd, they would sing what were called metric psalms. Um, and if you think uh, what Isaac Watts and his contemporaries wrote is old-fashioned, these were like really, really weird and fairly um, uh, sort of, I'd, I'd say boring would be the only word that I can use in, in, in our language. But um, he, he famously said once about what he saw in their worship, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. I know, what? What exactly did he just say? <laughs> Basically, what he was saying is, is that he, it didn't look like his brothers and sisters loved God while they were worshiping God. And he sought to, to shake things up. So, so he, he's written loads of hymns. A lot of the hymns that you'd hear sung today are written by Isaac Watts. And um, he had a simple philosophy. He felt that songs used in worship needed to be sound doctrinally and from the Bible, absolutely, but that they needed to be written almost as though David was sitting with us and that he was writing from our perspective. So what he did was he would take psalms and then he would infuse them with the gospel and with emotion, a bit like many modern worship leaders do for us today. And in fact, Joy to the World was very strongly based on, on Psalm 98. So I'm going to read that out for you, and you can see the similarity. It's glaringly obvious. I sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Isaac took those words and he infused them with the gospel and with hope and anticipation and joy because he knew that joy is a necessary part of salvation. It's a necessary part of salvation. Salvation doesn't come without joy. He knew that when the king of heaven, through no need of his own, came down to earth and humbled himself as a baby, he was dragging in his wake the joy of heaven down to earth. The angels announced it, the shepherds acknowledged it, the Magi yielded to it, but not everyone in that day and not everyone in our day was joyful or happy because of Christ's arrival. Some felt dread, some smelt death, and some even sensed the, the end of their empire was at hand. However, that was of no consequence, regardless of 
of how these individuals felt, the king came to earth, and all of creation was rejoicing. And Isaac knew that. He knew that part of our calling as the king's bride was to rejoice as we announced his good news, as we proclaim the gospel, that we are to proclaim it with joy because all of creation is singing with joy as they see their king come. As we say that Christ has come and that he has drawn close to man, that he's lived with us and he's experienced everything we experience and suffered as we suffer, but he was without sin, and that he paid the price for us even before we were born, before we could do anything to be condemned or to be commended, he paid the price. And he has made a way for us to be restored to our Father. He's made a way for us to dwell in his presence with no shame or no sense of division, for he has made a way for us to be holy as he is holy, and that he reigns now. He reigns victorious over death not in the grave, but seated in heaven, ruling and reigning. So we, when we look at that story, we don't don't look back to the cross with anticipation. We look back to the cross with thankfulness and with, with joy, for he has made all things new. What we wait for in anticipation is something else. We, we wait for his glorious return. The Bible tells us that that Christ has not finished his redemption plan just yet, and that he will return, and when he does, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And we, along with creation, wait in anticipation for that day. Isaac wanted us to savor that and declare it with joyfulness. God loves you, even when you don't feel it. With Christ comes joy, even if you don't express it. All of creation worships, even if you don't hear it. And God is faithful because even if you bore of old carols that have lost their meaning through overuse, God has inspired new songwriters to reinfuse the Psalms with the gospel and joy. And so the tradition continues of God reminding his people why Christmas is meant to be joyful. So I think maybe today our problem is not that we don't celebrate Christmas enough, but maybe that we celebrate it too much. Our Christmas has become all, sorry, Philip. Our Christmas has become all about the wrappings. They are sparkly and they are lovely and they are beautiful, just like, well, not exactly like this present, but... (laughs) And it's not bad in and of themselves, but sometimes they distract us from the actual gift. The wrapping takes our focus away from the supernatural goodness and the joy of Christmas, from the beautiful gift of God coming to live with man. I feel like we need to take some time out, maybe in our lounge. And be still before our Father. (laughs) I feel like God is saying we need to meditate and dwell on what his birth means for us. 
If we don't feel like we have that joy, then we need to renew our minds, like Romans says, and we need to think on what him coming as a baby means for us as his people. We need to lift our eyes away from the wrappings in front of us and stare into the eyes of our beautiful creator. As we heard last week with Matt and Phil, this event was so amazing that pagan astrologers left their home for a long journey west. A wicked king commanded the slaughter of innocents, and shepherds were filled with such great awe that they left their flocks to find this newborn and couldn't keep quiet about it. And two ordinary people spent their whole lives waiting and expecting for their Messiah to come. And when he did, they were filled with joy. And in the 1700s, a man who knew the joy of his Savior couldn't bear the drought of joy he saw in his church. And he reinvigorated churches the world over through song. And in the 1800s, a man who knew that God's people should usher joy into the world wrote a story to a nation begging it to rediscover its soul. And yet today, in this place, we recount those stories and those songs as we remember the joy that a baby brought to Bethlehem that night, that he came to rescue us from sin and death, that he came to bring his people to God, that he is the treasure hidden in a field and a pearl of great cost. So unlike, unlike the wrappings of a massive Christmas dinner or non-stop movies or a killer deal on Boxing Day or family and friends or an open fire, he will satisfy our human souls forever. And this is the great reason to rejoice. So I guess the question is, uh, what about us? And I, I think it's, it's, it's fairly obvious. When we come to Christmas, one of the traditions that we have is, is an Advent calendar. Um, it's a way of every day remembering that Christmas is coming and kind of building up anticipation for the day when we finally get to celebrate Christ come. Um, for most of us, that Advent calendar has become a uh, has has become a way of building up anticipation for the day when children can open their gifts. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we heard a, a, a word of knowledge about gifts under a Christmas tree and how some people um, are quite stoic about those gifts, that they, they sit and they wait to open those gifts in a very patient way. And then for some in their traditions, they'll even go to church in the morning and they'll only open their gifts later on in the day. And um, then there are other people that will jump at the first opportunity to open their gifts and they'll tear the paper open and open up the box and, and just, just lavish themselves on the, the experience of, of finding out what that surprise is and whether it is the thing that they were hoping for for all of this time. Um, and to build on that, I just thought, you know what, there's one really big gift under that tree. And I think so many of us spend so much time ripping up gifts that are, are actually inconsequential. They're small and insignificant compared to this massive gift that just sits under that tree waiting for us to tear it open. And we leave it. We leave it to the very end. And for some of us, we leave it till next year. And so 
as we come and we spend time building up this anticipation towards the 25th of December, I think that the way that we should be doing that as Christians is not by wondering what gifts God has given us, the little gifts that He's given us under our tree, but we spend time rejoicing the gift that He has already given us when He came as a baby and humbled Himself and stood in our place and made a way for us to be with our Father because we've already got the gift. We've already got it. And so as, as we spend time in worship now, I think there's, there's a lot of us that... We need to stand up and we need to get over ourselves. We need to sing like we have never sung before, regardless of how we feel. We need to sing songs filled with words that are built on biblical truth about who God is and tell us the story of why all of creation rejoices, even though sometimes we don't feel like it. And sometimes we need to stand up and rejoice with creation. And this is that time of year when we do that. So for many of us, let us respond in this time by spending time worshiping God because of who He is, not because of what He can do for us. And then for some of us, we wonder why. Why do we struggle to feel joy when everything in the Bible tells us that we should be filled with joy? And I have a challenge for you. I think that Possibly, we spend too much time looking at the wrappings and not enough time looking at the gift. We spend a lot of time thinking about all of our traditions and all of the things that we think we would like to have around Christmas. We think about the roast dinner and we think about decorating the Christmas tree and we think about getting the right gifts for the right people and we occupy our minds and our time and our space with all of the wonderful traditions that make Christmas what it is, but we leave no space for actually spending time appreciating Jesus. So the response for you is the same as the response for everyone else. Let's spend more time appreciating the reason we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And if you feel like you need prayer in that, then we want to offer you that opportunity. And then thirdly, I think there's, there's some people that have been... Um, celebrating Christmas for years and for years you've left that one big gift under the tree you've never opened it and you've never seen Christ for who he is and for what he's done for you and I'd love to offer the opportunity to you that you, you respond to that that you open that gift today you don't have to wait until the 25th of December to, to get that gift from Jesus open it today so Lord as as we come to you, as we acknowledge what Isaac Watts acknowledged, as we acknowledge what Charles Dickens acknowledged, as we acknowledge what Simeon and what Anna saw in their years of waiting and anticipation for you to come and rescue them, Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we spend time doing what all of creation does, that we would spend time praising you, glorifying you because of the good news of who you are and what you have done. And Lord, for those of us that have struggled to come near, have struggled to feel 
joy at that news. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you infuse us with joy, that you fill us with joy, that joy would be overflowing out of our hearts as we sing these words of truth about who you are. And Holy Spirit, for those that have, have never opened that gift, for those that have, have never acknowledged you as, as Lord and Messiah, the one that has come to rescue and save, Lord, we pray that you would you would come and you'd give them the strength and the boldness to open that gift now. That you would give them the strength and the boldness to accept you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.